When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly View system, Dion. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Welcome back to the Blue Room. Welcome back to Kickabout. Uh, it is myself, Mark Mosey. I've got the Blue Room's Emperor of Style here, uh, Les Roberts, uh, which will be a very, very fitting addition to the show. Uh, where we go on to talk about some of Everton's clobber that has come out this week uh, and how much of our entire wage packet is going on said items. And in Rob Vera's absence with him travelling around the USA, we've got his compatriot, Lyndon Lloyd. Uh, Lyndon, You've you've probably seen a hell of a lot more of Everton than than we have in recent times, given the given the recent tour over to the states. Um, you managed to make it to the to the Millionarios game. We've obviously been able to just try and get a glimpse of of what Everton means to Evertonians out there. My instinctive thought straight away is that I'm I'm kind of forced to like this football team through family and geography. Um, you have none of those implications, and yet thousands of people insist on following this hopeless football team around your entire continent i mean it, for for me it's just outright shock that people actually care as much as as what you guys do and what we do over here um the, the atmosphere and the the sheer sense of occasion about it all was fantastic from an everton point of view did, did you feel like when you went to the, the million arios game I did, yeah. There is there's a lot of passion there. Um, like you say, Lord knows how they uh, how they can keep it up from from so far away. I mean, I at least have the the history of having lived in England and yeah. been to Goodison more times than I can remember. Um, and yeah, so so this was really for some people the, the first and hopefully not their only, perhaps only the chance they'll ever get to watch them. Um, yeah. There was just as much passion as you as you would you know you'd expect at Goodison itself. Um, you know they got to see the team win, which was great. Um, you know twice if they got to got to both games, yeah. um, and it was it, it was really good. We were trying to work out how many there were there. It was very hard to judge. I would say that the the stadium because they 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 closed half of it. And put us all in the sun, which was nice of them in mean, 92 oh. degree weather, um, and selling uh, purified water at five dollars a pop, uh, <clears throat> which I'm, I'm convinced was a, a money making scheme on their part. Um, but it was probably, I'd say, a third full. There was a decent um, Colombian contingent of very exuberant uh, Millonarios fans who spent most of the game banging drums and dancing around like it was, you know, the temperature was about 20 degrees less. 
Um, there was a fair amount of um, Colombian people who were there supporting Everton, purely, you know, not probably because of the James angle. Mm. And then the rest was, um, you know, the, the diehards who, who get up at, you know, whatever time, 4 a.m., 6 a.m. in the morning to, to watch Everton um, on a weekly basis. And maybe 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. It was hard to judge, but those who were there they had a really good um, tailgate party. Um, and it, uh, yeah, it seems like a lot of fun was had by all. Did, did Everton have the biggest fan contingent there of, the, of, of all the four teams, would you say? Or were Millionarios up there as well, obviously? Yeah, again, it was, it, I mean, you know, the, the U.S. has a, has a very large <clears throat> um, Latino population as it is. So they get well supported um, wherever they go. And, and actually lots of the, um, the MLS games are very sort of well supported by Latino fans. I would say that it was, if it wasn't equal, then maybe Everton had the edge. Yeah. Uh, purely because of maybe just, the, as I say, the number of people who are there supporting Hamas Rodriguez. Um, unfortunately, they didn't get to see vintage Hamas. I thought he was really poor for the 45 minutes he was on. But um, I can at least say I've seen him in the flesh, which yeah. hopefully, well, I won't be the only one amongst, you know, all of us. Hopefully you'll get to see him as well. But um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a decent turnout and, um, and a really good occasion. And I think the club made, in the circumstances, I think the club did really well in being there in the first place. Yeah. There was a lot of goodwill by getting out there and not being, you know, I mean, obviously Arsenal had their own, had concrete reasons. I mean, but Inter Milan just seemed to just couldn't be asked. They just thought they just needed an excuse not to go and Arsenal yeah. gave them one. Um, so I think there's a lot of goodwill that we were the ones who got, got over there. And um, I, I would imagine that the attendance was um, suppressed by the, the whole pandemic thing. Um, yeah. And in future years, you know, it bodes well for um for future events if they can if we can get over in better times yeah absolutely i saw a couple of people mention in particular for the first game on twitter you know lack of merchandise available and not necessarily i think the the finger has always been pointed at everton of, of not necessarily making the financial impact and, and raising the profile of the club in whatever country we're going to but america is is clearly one that is always can you can you make your football team a relevant presence in that country? And I think you can't underestimate how incredibly difficult it is to to take this entire tour across the Atlantic. When, as you say, you've got teams like Inter Milan who can't even afford the flight over. Um, I'm just going to try and carry on this podcast while my cat attacks me with the sheer mention of everything going on tour. But Les, we're 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 shortly past the anniversary of you traveling abroad to watch Everton in pre-season just r remind me of where that was and how badly we did well this is this is the thing I was really jealous of so Lyndon was saying then that some Evertonians got to see Everton went twice on the bounce there I can't remember the last time it happened anyway but uh, you had the GB side of watching Everton lose twice in one afternoon uh, <laughs> were, they, were they the 45 minute games it was an hour the games were an hour long yeah. back to back foresight to put Everton on the first two games so we could all get off as soon as we got beat. I think it was Seville was the second game. Yeah. It was first. Then we played Seville and we were out so we just got off. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was a cracking weekend in Germany but the football was terrible. Oh, well, I mean, as you say, that was the 
the angst of watching Everton go to America is that, I mean, I, I was probably on the young side when we were taking sort of David Moyes' teams over there and so many parallels were drawn with those with those tours that we made over there. And you know what? Hopefully that, that comes to fruition in the in the season to come because it, it did, did seem to be of that nature whereby wherever Everton went and had a lovely tour over in America. I, I remember playing Salt Lake and a couple of other teams over there, but it always preceded a really good season. So hopefully that is, is something to build on. But um, Linda... then, I'm also hoping it's put to bed that fat badge now as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that badge was like the last time we saw the America. That badge was everywhere. So hopefully that will be used everywhere now and put that yeah. to bed. It, it is great still seeing like Premier League websites plastering it everywhere. <laughs> like, like we, didn't, we didn't immediately change it as soon as we realised what we've done. Um, <laughs> things that should be forgotten about, Lyndon, I don't know if this is a, a common occurrence in US soccer, but my sweet grandma's apple pie. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not one I've come across before. Uh, it, it was a great strike, don't get me wrong, but I assume this is very much a a personal nod from that particular commentator as opposed to a um, a frequent term in American commentary. Yeah, it is. My my beef with American commentators runs very deep. Um, I, I live for the day when I could actually watch the 2018 World Cup, I think, with the audio from BBC iPlayer, just so I could listen to you know the, the sort of commentary that I'm used to because some of the American stuff just drives me nuts. That that I've never heard that one before. I think it's very much a um, a personal one, but very much in keeping with uh, some of the the flowery expressions that they come up with. <laughs> yeah, is is it for someone like you? And you've obviously given a bit of a nod to your your history with Everton and obviously being over here. Is there a little bit of that thing that we probably have um, with, with sort of stereotypical, for example, American commentary? And you just think, oh. Don't say that because I, I know what every single person in England thinks when they hear that line. <laughs> yeah, it's um, there's a lot of lot of cringing that goes on, yeah. um, and then and that's why I have to say that I'm grateful that NBC Sports over here, who I mean they carry every single game now, but the all the um, the coverage is handled by Rebecca Lowe, who okay. is I mean she is the the male version of Des Lynam and Kami, she just, she makes it look so effortless. She's just brilliant. Um, and, and she has, um, like, uh, Robbie Musto, Robbie Earl, like kind of like the, the, the regular pundits and they're very good. Yeah. And then they always have, uh, it's funny, they have a token American on there and it used to be, um, oh, what's that guy's name? Kyle Martino. I don't know if you know him. Um, but right now it's Tim Howard. Okay. And um, yeah, so but it, but I I live for the any any English angle I can get on on my football coverage over here I, I take it because it's um you know it just it speaks to the the football that I grew up with and the you know and and, the, and it always just things down like to the terminology like some of the Americans like you know the service into the six service into the yeah. eighteen just like oh please stop goaltender the goaltender yeah the goaltender it kills me every time. <laughs> We that's are the, in the, uh, that's we are the expression, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, we'll go on to about a few players, but I think Asmir Begovic was a, a very reliable goaltender now that we've said it. Um, <laughs> to, finish, <laughs> to finish that uh, that first game off with him both scoring the winning penalty and obviously saving the the following one was just 
it was that was that was probably the point where I knew Everton were back when we could just we could tap into any form of craziness, even in a preseason game. But just to touch on a few players who obviously be it from the tour or not have come to light in recent weeks and, and new stories breaking about them. The one that we've obviously mentioned is James Rodriguez. Um some of the media outlets in, in the UK today, Lyndon, have suggested that Rafa Benitez has started to emotionally cut ties with Hammers and the prospect of him being the the pinnacle creative figure of this Everton team for, for the season to come. I think most of us have reservations about Hammers. We know that there are reliability issues, there are potentially commitment issues as well. But the one thing you can't doubt is that he is our out-and-out source of genius talent. Um, I, I've said on this show countless times that I think that he is probably the most technically gifted footballer that I've ever seen play for Everton. Um, I'm, I'm sure fans of an older generation would potentially agree with me as well. Where do you kind of lie in terms of, A, believing these rumours, but also your own opinion on can Everton afford to have someone like James Rodriguez? And that, that's not to say that we are too good for the lads, because that is, that is clearly not the, not the story. But is there a point whereby the luxurious nature of his talent means that the team needs to separate from him in order to progress collectively? Well, yeah, there's a lot there. First of all, actually, when I was waiting for your message, um, I was flicking around the Echo site trying to find out if they were if they were, had got their information from this Spanish podcast or whatever it was, because that's where I seemed, where I first spotted it. Um, you just don't know what to believe these days. There's so much misinformation and misdirection and you know as we know on, on twitter and social media these things just grow legs and they go from some fanciful notion to people believing it as solid fact within about five minutes um so i'm i'm just going to choose to choose to just ignore it for now until it's something concrete in terms of keeping him i mean he's arguably the most excited i've been about a player joining us um even keeping in mind his injury record, the fact you know his age, his <clears throat> supposed <clears throat> excuse me, his supposed temperish, temper, temperamental issues. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I still wanted him, and I'd still love to keep him. And I suppose the question, the question really comes down to: Are we hidebound now, as people are saying, by FFP? And if we are to the degree that we have to sell before we can buy. Mm-hmm. then you would you would arguably say that can we afford to have a luxury player who potentially could only play a 20-odd season? And if that's the case, then you look at it and you think maybe if we get 15, 20 million for him, then over the, you know, with the whole amortization of contracts and stuff, we could actually get a fair bit of leeway in the market just by doing that. Um, yeah. But... Um, you know, my if that's not the case and we do have money to spend, then I would say keep it. Because as you say, I mean, he's he's a player who can who can win a game on his own um, or you know, earn us points on his own, as he did numerous times last season. I'm thinking about, you know, the, the game at Old Trafford here, how instrumental he was. I mean, he sets up the goal for Richardson in the derby. He could have walked off the next minute and his job would have been done. You know, the rest of the team yeah. basically, basically did the rest. Um, and so it's a question of to what degree can we fit him into the system, whatever system Benitez is going um, to op- operate this season. Uh, I, at the end of last season, I basically said, 
if we could get if we could do the kind of transfer business that I think Ancelotti was um, intimating we were going to. I mean, he basically was saying we're just going to sod FFP and just spend however much we want. If we'd been able to do that kind of business, I would have then have said just just keep Hamas as your super sub. You know, someone who can just regularly con- contribute off the bench um, and you know and, and and win and win matches for us that way. Um, if 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 we're if our business is going to be restricted as much as people are saying now, then it's going to be a much more tricky situation, but I'd still rather have him than not. You could definitely tell that Ancelotti had his Real Madrid hat on at that point, can't you? Yeah. Just already yeah. seen the bank account and thought, oh, off we go. Um, Les, I, I'm probably struggling to get overexcited about the prospect of, as Lyndon mentioned earlier, actually seeing James in the flesh. Um, at, at this point now, Honestly, I'd just, I'd just take him putting in an 8 out of 10 performance in a poor 1-1 draw against Southampton on the first game of the season and then admitting yeah. that he's probably going to shoot off. Um, are, are you investing in this lad being here for the medium term? No, I think as soon as Ancelotti went, I was kind of thinking he's not going to be here next season. Yeah. Um, even when the managers were sort of up in the air with who we'd get, I just, I just thought Ancelotti was the reason he came to Everton. Now he's gone. There's not really any reason for him to stay. Mm. Uh, shame, not least, not just because none of us have actually seen him play mm. in flesh, and you can't actually beat that, can you? Being at the game and seeing a player like that, it's the stuff you don't see on the telly that you get to enjoy. Um, but I think as well, it'll be a shame because it looks like next season he will have more options to play to. It won't just be hit it to Lucadine on the left, but you're knackered. It looks like we're going to play with a bit more width and, a, I don't know, a bit more energy as well. So we would have more options and it would get more out of this game because I think he sort of, we played that one-dimensional last season. It must have been frustrating for him yeah. like playing side the way we played. Um, we can all say that now, can't we? It was, it was really difficult at the time because we were sort of looking at it thinking, well, it will get better. It will be fine. But now we can look at it a bit more objectively. It's like it probably wouldn't have got any better and it may not have been fine. Yeah. Um, it, will, it would be a shame to go, but I'm not really holding out any hope that we'll ever see him. He, he needs legs around him, doesn't he? I think if, yeah. if you're, you're going to have any incredible level of talent on the ball, which he clearly does, you know, picking a pass, picking a shot, absolutely no issues, but he needs to have that physical outlet around him. Uh, and I think, as you say, Les, we've got people like Andros Townsend, more so probably on the back of the, the two games that, we are nominating Damari Gray for the Ballon d'Or on the back of. Um, <laughs> he, he's clearly got that dynamism that someone like a Hammers could pick that early ball out wide, let Damari Gray go at a fullback. Hammers picks up an intelligent position in the middle of the park, finishes off the move, and it all starts to make a little bit more sense than it does when you've got Alex Wobi on one side of you and a half arse of Charleston on the other, and you think, well, you're relying on moments of brilliance. And as much as James is capable of doing that, you can't build an attacking mantra on that sort of ideology whereby moments of inspiration are going to carry us through. Um, to, to progress this and to talk about other attacking options, has there, Les, ever been a more obvious player in the shop window situation than Moyes Keane at Everton? Um, because <laughs> as much as... As much as we haven't necessarily got other attacking options to, to put out there in, in pre-season, and I'm sure this will be the case at United next week, 
surely on the back of we'll go on to talk about FFP and the restrictions that that places on Everton but if you are looking at offloading one player and raising some funds to go out and spend on numerous other positions are we kind of just dangling the carrot here for PSG to come and get him? Yeah, it, it does feel like he's only playing now to get a move away. I mean, I think we all said last season when he started sort of doing well in, in France that it was like, well, he's definitely not going to want to come back now. Mm. Um, come back, he's played, he's scored. Um, but it, it does feel very much like our whole transfer policy is hinging on whether we can get rid of him yeah. or not. It, it's kind of all relying on PSG actually being asked to pay the money for him. Mm. But they don't really seem to be that bothered about. Yeah. They seem to be you know, putting bids in for other players left, right and centre, but not really going after him, which it's not great for us, is it? You know, it's it sort of, as as we mentioned before, we sort of thought we were going into the summer, going to splash the cash on quality players, it was all going to be different. But now we're back in the situation where we are getting bargain buys, which I'm fine with. You yeah. know, if, if I'm going to do the job, it's it's something that we've sort of built our, our teams around for years and we've been better for it. Um, but it feel a little bit not cash strapped but FFP strapped yeah. um, and it, it's a bit of a worry that that's what we're hanging on because PSG obviously aren't that keen to have him that was that was not an intended pun by the way there um, but yeah they, they don't seem that, that bothered whether they get him or not I think they're quite happy to sit off and just see what happens and if he becomes available at the end of the window or we're desperate to just get rid of him for another season yeah I'll take him alone. it's a uh, it's all very much out of our hands and that is a bit of a worry. As much as you want to brush that under the carpet, Les, I've just written not that keen down as the show title. Um, so <laughs> with that, that will be that will be us forever. I'm, on, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Lyndon, yeah, Moyes Keane. Um, I, I don't think it's too crazy to suggest that he is probably a little bit more suited to a team like PSG than Everton purely because we ask him to do a little bit too much. I think that, that that goal in in the Pumas game was prime example for me of a player who really shouldn't go through one-on-one a lot of the times from the halfway line. He, he was born to live around people like Angel Di Maria, Kylian Mbappe, Neymar, and Finn. Do you know what? He had a pretty unremarkable season at PSG last season, but scored countless number of goals. Um, but the, they still see him as a little bit of a risk because... In their minds, he's probably far more one-dimensional than every other attacking player that they've got. And, and that's just a nod to, to the, the calibre of player that they have. But do you think that this is not necessarily for Moyes Keane, because I think we all know what his desire is, but is this the best move for Everton now to try and cash in, safe in the knowledge that we've then got to go immediately back out and find a, a bit of a bargain replacement for him? Yeah, I, I think, you know, as I was saying, we're, we're waiting. And, I, and I'm sure that we have uh, targets lined up in case we get this over the line. Uh, I just think PSG, as Les says, that they're in no rush. They can play the long game. Um, just wait, wait and see what happens. Whereas he was, I mean, it, it almost feels like he was the key to the whole summer because the, the amount that we were looking at, at hopefully getting for him would, was going to open up maybe two or three transfer opportunities um, I mean, I, I, I watch him and I, and I just don't, I don't see it. And I can see why Juventus weren't that, weren't, weren't that you know, bothered about hanging on to him. You know, yeah. they cashed in 25, 25 million or whatever it was. And I just, 
again, as I said, we, or as you said, we, we just, we asked him so much of him and I don't think he's that kind of player. He's certainly not a lone striker type of player. Um, He doesn't look particularly happy playing for us. So I, I, I just think if we can, if we can get him out the door and, and again, if, if a sale is that important to us, then it would almost behoove us to, to lower that asking price, get as much as we can for him, uh, make a small profit. Because I think the benefits in terms of what we can bring in would be better than just trying to hold out for as much as we possibly can and then ended up, end up getting to the end of the window with him still there. Joe, I, I think that's a great point in terms of when we speak about should we sell Moyes Keane, it, it's always from the financial aspect, you know, in particular at the moment, we need the money. We've got PSV waiting for us to go and make bids for Denzel Dumfries. And I think so often we overlook the actual football and calibre of him and remember that we've, we haven't actually seen a great deal to justify even the price tag that we paid, never mind some of the money that is being spoken about for, for future transfers. And I've been a big advocate this season and in particular this summer about players being sold for above market value. Uh, I think it's always important to get good value for your for your outgoings. And Moyes Keane leaving Everton Football Club for £40 million represents unbelievable value for a player who most of us have incredible hopes for. And I think we, we'd all put him in that category of one of Europe's rising stars. But there does become a point, albeit with him such at such a tender age, there has to be that that spark in that moment, and I think we all know that that has not happened at Everton thus far. Is is it likely to happen? Well, you're potentially looking at three or four years down the line, us all still waiting for that moment, uh, and I think it's it would be as much as it would be seen from a footballing point of view as a disappointment for him to move on you potentially saving yourself years of, of disappointments and waiting and ultimately recouping a, a far less transfer value in years to come. And we've, we've seen this happen with other players in, in other teams down the years of waiting consistently for that spark to happen and, and ultimately losing a player for five million quid with, with six months left on his contract. And as much as that is, is years down the line, I think, yeah, Everton are, are absolutely desperate for that move to come now. Um, the one player that we mentioned there is Denzel Dumfries and he is one of the players that yet again today has been linked with his in a weird situation of his parent club and his current club just kind of sitting and waiting for Everton to come and get him Um, I think Burnley are very much in the same situation with Dwight McNeil whereby we saw initial rumours a couple of weeks ago and they've kind of prone themselves for for an incoming bid and they're all sitting there waiting about which fee they're going to ultimately pull our kecks down for but it, it's never really materialised um, and I think w- with the Dumfries free situation the one thing that's kind of dovetailed with that this week is Seamus Coleman signing a, a, an additional one year deal um, Seamus Coleman is probably at this stage of his career one of Everton's most divisive players amongst the fan base, I'd say. I think there's a hell of a lot of people who have a justifiable amount of loyalty towards him. Um, obviously, a gratitude for for the years that we've had from him and, and on the subject of value for money footballers, that no one comes close to him, obviously. But 
Les, was this appropriate timing for for an additional one year for him? Uh, I think his his original contract was due to expire next summer. He now carries through until the summer of 2023. Um, I, I think the the lack of an obvious incoming first choice right back has probably spiked people a little bit more than it really should with this deal. Would you agree? Mm. Yeah, I think I mean I think they wasted it actually because it was just after a Brownley Moore a Brownley Moore announcement as well, wasn't it? But that was actually starting building it. So it been great. <laughs> yeah, so you know, he did he didn't have to use that. He could have kept that one back a little bit longer. Yeah, it does feel a bit weird that you can see why people will get frustrated because they'll put two and two together and think, oh, we're definitely not signing right back now. Yeah. Which pretty criminal because we've been after one for about four years now. Um if it, if not to take Coleman's place to at least give him some serious competition because, you know, we've seen Sadibi wasn't that, Kenny isn't that. Yeah. And, you know, we could be getting to the point this season where we're asking him to play 38 games again, which feels like too much for him. Um, and it, it's it's because now he's getting a little bit older, the flaws in his game are getting more pronounced. I think that's why it's becoming divisive. So, whereas he could tear up the line and hit a ball across in the past, now every sort of misplaced cross is amplified as like, yeah. look, he's still on cross the ball. He's not making the dynamic runs as much as he did because he can't. So it's all just sort of creating this horrible atmosphere whereby you have got a good right back there. He's not what he was. He's never going to be what he was again. And it's sort of starting to stare up emotion in people like mm. divisively, like you say, so people, you know, you can't slag him off because it's Seamus Coleman. He's a great fella. He's yeah. been dead good for the club he has. But by the same token, He's not a great right back anymore. He's, he's decent and he's not what we need. We need better. Now, the thing about Dumfries that worries me is I'm just worried he's going to be one of those fullbacks who's never defending. Yeah. Sorry, the Euros as good as he was. He always seemed to be in the opposition box, either over on the left hand side and stuff. He was everywhere except defending a lot of the time. So that worries me a little bit. Um, and maybe, I don't know, we could strike up a nice partnership with Andros Townsend, who seems to track back a lot. That, that could be perfect. Um, yeah. But it is, it is all a bit weird and it is all a bit worrying the fact that we, mm. we can't release that much money. 15, for me, 15 million, nothing. Now, the yeah. fact that we can't release that much money to get a player, that's the thing that really worries me. More than having Coleman in there next season. Yeah. I think the, the one person that will worry more than anyone in that situation is John Joe Kenny. Um, because the, the one thing that really struck me about these two games is an insistence with Rafael Benitez's lineups, uh, I think it, it's very unusual to play, particularly on, on an international tour, two games relatively close together, and play to a man a, a pretty similar lineup. I know there was a bit of chopping and changing in the middle with Decore and, and Alan coming out of the second game, but you're potentially looking in that situation with this this aging fullback who everyone knows needs replacing of John Joe Kenny probably getting a, a, a start and a, a probably a, a little bit more of a, of a prominent role there. But he has joined the, joined Rafa's list, which, which grows by the day of players who are just susceptible to this transfer call in order to raise money. Um, John Joe Kenny's on there. James Rodriguez, as we mentioned earlier, is, is rumouredly on, on the list. Um, Andre Gomez is, is another one who there was a lot of speculation about him going out to America late, uh, a lot of links towards a few Portuguese clubs. I know Benfica are, are rumoured to have an interest. So 
I think what worries me from that aspect is that this is going to be a really turbulent four weeks of, of transfer activity. Um, I, I think we, we all kind of bought into the fact that this was going to be a slightly strange window, um, obviously on the back of COVID and on the back of two major international tournaments. But it, it does give me the feeling that Everton are going to be one of the more chaotic clubs, which is wonderful on, on transfer deadline day because we'll all be glued to it. Uh, and as, as much as we all say we don't want to be part of that last 24 hours, we all absolutely do. It's uh, boring when you're not, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to see someone stood outside, you know, Newcastle's training round, waiting to see if he signs someone for three million quid. Absolutely not bothered. Um, but yeah, just to, to wrap up <laughs> on these games over in America, um, Evans' penalties and a million Aros's penalties in that first game. I mean, they were all unstoppable. And I, I absolutely know that when we get to the point of of really needing four decent kicks of a football in the Carling Cup this year. At least two of them will go flying into the stands, but that that was probably one thing that shocked me. Um, but to go even back, Anthony Gordon's, absolutely, yeah. You know, even we, that was a dead gun penalty, just a bit unlucky. Relatively inexperienced players just just standing up and pinging them into the corners, which was great to see. Um, but to go back to some of the attacking options, I think someone who has obviously stolen the limelight a bit was Damari Gray. Um, so much made. Primarily about his transfer fee, um, for all the right reasons, we should say. But he, Lyndon, struck me as the most un-Everton footballer I can remember seeing. Um, because seeing someone directly run at a fullback makes me a little bit nervous. Seeing someone playing through balls to a striker, that it, it, it gives me all of the, this lad isn't here for the long term. Um, he, he must be on loan and give it six games. We'll, we'll, we'll embed everything NSNO about us into him. Um, was he probably the shining light from an individual point of view for you over these two games? Yeah, and, and if, if nothing else, just for the fact the lad has pace. You know, even if he couldn't do anything else, just having someone who can run at a, at a defence and just cause them problems and open up opportunities for someone else uh, would be enough. But he's got, he's got so much more. And there's obviously, you know, concerns over his consistency and, and, and consistency of his end product. But he was um, he was the, the, the outstanding player um, over the two games for me. Um, and one of the reasons why I sort of ended last season and went through the Euros being completely apathetic about our chances next season, more or less given up any hope of making any progress next season. And, and he... Uh, and perhaps with um, Andros Townsend as well, and and some of the stuff that I'm seeing from Benitez in terms of an improvement in just the way we play, I'm starting <laughs> I'm starting to feel a bit more encouraged now. Um, and I would imagine that over if if Moise, if Moise Keane stays, I would imagine over the course of the season you get more out of someone like Demare Gray, um, far more than you would from Moise Keane and he cost what, you know, 10% of the price. So I think it's going to be a really good move. Um, and as I say, if we can, if we can add, I, I just think we're at, we, we need one or two um, quality pieces added to that team. And all of a sudden we're a, we're a much, um, much more different proposition. And maybe one of those pieces is Jean-Philippe Gababin, if we can keep him fit. I mean, honestly, anytime someone near, went near him, I was having kittens because I was like, just, I just, you know, he, I think he went yeah. down a couple of times. And I said, please get up, please get up. But <laughs> he, he looks, I mean, if he can stay fit, he looks like he could actually provide 
um, that presence in the middle that we've been looking for. And um, even even going back to what the commentator was saying, one of the commentators over here actually came out with, um, he'd, be, he'd be like a new signing for Everton. I was like, yeah, we've heard that one before. <laughs> so yeah, um, Damari Gray, um, certainly of, of the new signings, obviously, is, is, is the pick. Yeah, Les, I think the, the thing that impressed me about Damari Gray is, as we mentioned earlier, his ability to just totally commit a fullback. Um, I, I think that it, it probably shocks us as Evertonians watching someone like that because probably since Kinchelskis, you, you probably you, you're really stretched to think of wingers, out and out wingers, who have a sole focus on running at fullback and being direct towards goal. I know that we've we've experimented so much, in particular with formations and. You know, we've tried to use someone like Richarlison in that in that mould, but it's never quite the same as someone who is so raw, like Damari Gray mm. seems to be, just really attacking the goal with every time he touches the ball. And I, I think he probably already represents good value, debatably. I mean, for, for someone who comes in and, and costs one and a half million, quite frankly, if he gives you six months of really good attack and play, you've, you've kind of got your money back instantly, haven't you? Yeah, the, the signing was an absolute no-brainer, really. You know, people saying, oh, look, we're making bargain basement signings again. Like I said before, that's not a bad thing. It's it's the smarter thing to do. If you can get a player of that quality, let's not forget he's got a Premier League medal as well. I don't think he did much to win that, but he's got it. So yeah. he's been... He's the most successful, well, Barhamers, he's probably the most successful. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's... it's and that sort of player, it's a very Everton type of player. It's something that down the years that have played with wingers that attack with pace and whip the ball across. And it seems like that's what we could be doing again next season. And I'm quite excited to see that because it's been a long time since we played that sort of style of football. And it it is what gets us off our seats. And I think he is a player that will do that. Um, also, what I really liked was the fact he took the penalty. Yeah. So, you know, he'd literally joined the club for that tour. And straight off the bat, he's going right and taking this and slots it. Yeah, yeah. He was to miss the one in the uh, the shootout, but he didn't do that either. No, absolutely. Very unevident thing, though, this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, that's a, a nod to, to the lad's character and his confidence, which is, is great to see at such an early stage. I think from a, from a footballing point of view, the, the thing that really struck me, in particular in the, the early stages of the Pumas game, was how interchangeable our, our wide attacking players were. It, it looked horrible to play against. And for, for a football team who its own supporters have consistently called boring and predictable, the, the opening 20 minutes in that game were anything but. Uh, and you, you just knew that, albeit it was a, an underwhelming goal in terms of the finish when it eventually came, but we, we had a sustained period of attacking momentum and pressure, which was always ultimately going to lead to a goal. For, for so long, Everton's goals have always been a little bit too spontaneous, a little bit too out the blue. There's, there's no real concrete path to how Everton's goals come about. And I think that was that was something that really struck me in that, that sort of period of dominance that we managed to build. And I, I appreciate that, that you obviously have to do this on a more competitive and, and, and more premium stage, but... 
I think that, that was something that you looked at people like Townsend and Damari Gray, even Anthony Gordon when he came on in the second half. And, and I think that the key moment was when he set that chance up for Hamas Rodriguez. But that, that's how you want Anthony Gordon to, to look going forward, isn't it? That's the, that's the exciting, raw attacking player that, that we've all bought into. Um, lads, we've managed to get through 45 minutes of recording so far without talking about how fantastic both teams looked during that game. Um, Les, when we kind of debated topics for this podcast and where we go with it, and we spoke about how wonderful Evans' new third kit is and how great it was to see so many of our American fans wearing it at the game, have two teams ever looked better in a competitive game of football than those two? Two kits, comp- they were like the reverse of each other, weren't they? Yeah. There's, there's that <laughs> players stood next to each other. And it's just like perfect symmetry. It's amazing. Um, that Puma's kit, though, with the massive badge on the front. Okay. You know, so is, it, is the Everton equivalent using that terrible badge we made a few years ago and just banging it straight on the chest? <laughs> <laughs> if, we could, if we could... You know, so, so many kits at the moment are a nod to, to past years. I know Man United have just brought out a kind of a, a blue and white kit. We saw Arsenal bring out the bruised banana kit last year. So many of them look back at previous generations for, for inspiration. If Everton did something like that, can, can you imagine Twitter fume of 2045 when we bring that enormous badge on the front of our thing? It'll be, it'll be the rugby top. The, <laughs> yeah. the 2014 rugby top with a massive Police badge on the front there. But Lyndon Hummel have done a great job, haven't they, in terms of not only the design. Um, and do you know what? I'm, I'm always hesitant to go to go too much into the design of football kits because I'm, I'm not... I, Les, Les is going to step away from this comment here, but the man's a fashion guru. I, I, I can imagine <laughs> you, Les, scrutinised. You're one of the fellas who stayed up the other night, as Darren said on Twitter the other day, I saw this great tweet he put out about staying up till one o'clock in the morning just to see what Evan's new shorts and socks look like. Um, I, I, I've never really bought into how, how important a football kick can be, but um, Lyndon, is, is that the best that Evan have ever looked? Uh, that was a, a smart kit. When it, when it first came out, because I'm not a big fan of yellow, I have to say, which was kind of heresy, I suppose, when you'd go back to the amber kits of the 70s and 90s ones. But, um, I mean, on the, on, the, on the home shirt, I don't really like the yellow trim. Um, yeah, yeah. Or, or the kind of like the, the, the sport pacer one with the kind of that funny design that we had a couple of seasons ago and this one. Yeah. But this one, the, the more I see it, um, the more it grows on me. I like navy, which I suppose is a bit too spursy, but I do like the way yeah. that is. A, it's, it's a smart kit. Um, and as you say, um, Puma's looking like the reverse of us. I, it, it, for an exhibition game, it was just it was just perfect. It really was. So yeah, Hummel have done a great job, um, not least for the fact that they're unique, you know, yeah. and they are at least going back, you know, it's a nod to our history. Um, hopefully, like the Black Watch kit when I first saw, I thought that's that's excellent. And then we got Tom Bay in Man City up against Man City. Right. And now now we have to wait to to, to get a result to try to banish that. Banish that memory, but um, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing a really great job. I would love to see um, a, a version if you'd saw Denmark's kit during the Euros where they had a very subtle kind of design on the left half of the shirt and then the just the, the very um, understated chevrons on the sleeves. If, if they do that next season for the home kit, I'd be that'd be great. 
I was desperate to have that kit in all boys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely desperate yeah. for it. I would have gone full kit wanker for that. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing I'm really disappointed at with this season's kit is how nice that orange goalie kit is because I feel like you, you've got to be under the age of 14 to go out and, and buy the goalie kit and wear it at footy. And I, I just don't think I could possibly <laughs> get away with it. But I, I, have, I have actually got the pink one. Well, I'm you might see you rocking that five aside. I will be straight over. Don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> more importantly, those bucket hats. Uh, are you in? Yeah, definitely. I see. The thing is, though, with the reversible ones you've got, I like the what you've got. Like you'd have to buy them both because I think the black watch and the third kit hats look dead good, <laughs> but the, the keeper one aren't so good. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, so we're going away next week. So I'm taking the kids over to the club shop tomorrow. Not that they'll have anything in the club shop, because we never do. Um, but I'm hoping they'll at least have the third kit over by the tops for them. And Jay's desperate for one of those bucket hats now. So, at, at what stage do you reckon we'll get away with not banging an extra fiver on the home kit every single year? <laughs> <laughs> Just horrible. Yeah, yeah. We'll, come, we'll come up with one of those stadium kits, won't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, do, do you know what? And what Lyndon said about the template is, is absolutely spot on because I, I personally don't care who the manufacturer is as long as we all just do something a little bit different. Um, for anyone listening who's seen the away kit or the fair kit, it might be that, that Man City were rumoured to be bringing out this, oh, God. this navy thing with Man City plastered across the front uh, and Puma's insane desire to let everyone know who they are manufacturing for this year. I just think... You, you want something that is totally bespoke to your to your club, don't you? And I think Hummel have accepted that we are, as a fan base, relatively traditionalist, um, but we, we do like that element of, of individuality, and they have absolutely delivered for the first couple of seasons. So, so, yeah, keep it coming. And if you have heard the last five minutes of positivity that we've brought, feel free to send us some free gear. Absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, do you know what I like about this third kit as well? It's got a little nod to the Bieber kit, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. The, so that was... Such of the Justin Bieber kit. Yeah. Predominantly purple trim with a little bit of fluorescent yellow or green, was it? Yeah. 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 I think there's, it, there's it, definitely a nod to that in there. Have you got, have you got any... The 90s tractor print. Do you remember that? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's a nod to that, but this is like a moped print instead was, of a tractor print. I was also fine with the uh, the Umbro diamonds being subtly everywhere on, on a lot of our kits. I know... Hummel like to do that as well, that we've said with the kind of subtle arrows all over. Um, is, is there anything in, in terms of worst Everton kits in living memory? Is there anything for you, Lyndon, that, that stands out as being properly dreadful? I mean, I, I don't really like any form of fluorescent kit. Um, the fluorescent yellow, fluorescent pink that we've had in recent years, it, we, we always look a little bit daft. We always, ha- we always have recently signed someone like Marwan Fellaini, who's about seven foot nine, massive mop of hair, and he comes yeah. out fluorescent yellow away at Blackburn in a nil-nil draw, and it all just doesn't, doesn't quite fit the, the market employee of the kit. But is there anything that was an absolute no-no for you? Uh, we, I, I'm, I'm really not big on the fluorescent ones, but we haven't really had anything like, like really vomit-inducing. Like some yeah. of those... When just doing some research for the show, I was sort of googling the worst Premier League kits of all times, and there are some shockers in there. I don't think we've we've, we've touched. I mean, I, actually, the the purple, the sorry, the pink fluorescent one from 2010-11, I 
that one made it onto the list. Uh, but even that's, even that's not terrible. Um, so yeah, we haven't had some real shockers, but yeah, the, the fluorescent day glow ones, you know, it's, it's particularly when you're not very good, it just doesn't <laughs> You do do this kind of like kit association thing in your head, don't you? So as much as, as much as I want to hate that pink kit, it always reminds me of, uh, I think it was Tim Cale scoring at St. Andrews away at Birmingham City. And we hadn't, uh, I mean, in typical Everton fashion, we hadn't scored a goal for seven months before it or whatever, whatever the start <laughs> was. It, when, you, when you're behind the goal, it, it, it seems to stand in living memory. And Everton are always very good at banging all of the advertisement material out as soon as the final whistle goes for a kit like that. Um, my unpopular opinion about Everton generally is that the black kit with the with the pink pinstripe um, that we won two 0 away at Man City and Arteta scored. Um, that that's probably one of my least favourite Everton kits of all time. And everyone else I ever seem to speak to seems to love it. Um, but Les, being the the emperor of fashion for the Blue Room, we are going <laughs> to let you have the um, <laughs> the telling casting. What is Everton's best and worst kits in your opinion? Oh God, best kit. Um, I think best kit just for sort of the whole package is the 85 one. Um, okay, yeah. Just for everything it represented and the hoop socks on that were absolutely outstanding as well. The shorts were a little bit snug for my liking. <laughs> <laughs> Some of that it, there's no need for the length of the shorts. <laughs> I'm being a bit of a bitch picking that one on, to be honest. <laughs> um, worst Everton kit. Now, I don't know if we ever wore this it looks like a training top but I don't think it was but I have got this fluorescent yellow away I'm going to say it's from like 98 maybe it could be Nick Barnby at West Ham actually it's got the huge one-to-one thing on the front that just is so rigid it's like it's like having something like a piece of cardboard stuck on the front of your shirt massive it's dead baggy it's got a huge umbro on it and it's even got umbro on the back at the bottom and it's got one of the most ill-fitting and worst kits ever. Still bought, but it's the, terrible. The biggest Everton kit tragedy since um, since we switched from, God, what way round was it? Was it from Danker to one to one? Halfway yeah. through the halfway through the two-year period where we had the sort of yellow and black vertical stripe kit. And I seem to remember we were on BBC Watchdog for just sticking a one-to-one sticker. Across the banker. <laughs> as well, yeah. When when you turn the kit inside out, it still said banker on the inside. And you know, that was if that I was could the, get older, about that kit. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the mad thing about that kit because the the black and yellow stripe one, the sponsor was actually in the kit design. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't felt that was stuck on. It was actually in the shirt. It was weird <laughs> the way they'd done it. So they sort of had a bit of a get out there that they could just put a sticker on, and then the season after. It was when the one to one was upside down. Do you remember? <laughs> so it was the one. It was the one with the the sort of V neck, the filled in V neck with the stripes across the middle. Amazing. I think oh, the stripes were upside down compared to the shorts, so they got that wrong. The, do you know the the one that I've just thought about? One that I did really like. Remember when we brought out the? This was probably early two thousands, and we had like a denim blue color. Um, and do you know what? It was probably one of those kits that we definitely only wore for half of a preseason game. We probably wore it for one of those sixty-minute games, Les, that you went to watch. But yeah, <laughs> we've always seen that the best kits are reserved for, for 
the games where we absolutely do do not need them. Um, but yeah, we we have had some, we have had some nice clobber in recent times, and you know the, the training gear from Hummel this year is is potentially going to bankrupt me. Um, <laughs> definitely. Just flicking through a bit of Everton news and one player that I did want to just briefly touch upon was Benny Beningami, um, who obviously made his permanent transfer up to Hearts today. Um, Les, I don't know about you, but I, I probably didn't think we were that far down the line in terms of shifting him on. I know it, it's very difficult with young players to decide, are you still going to invest in, in this player to try and explore what is potentially there in the next couple of years? Or is it someone that you, you very quickly cut ties with? And I think the latter normally comes with a transfer fee coming in for him. And for, for him to leave on, on a free permanent transfer, were, were, you, were you at that stage where he'd made Rafa's call list for you? Or are you still a little bit disappointed that we haven't managed to, to, to dig into that talent? But I think a lot of us probably go back to that game at Stamford Bridge, don't we, in, in the Cup a few years ago where... He was a standout player. He put some brilliant challenges in. And in the midst of not having an out-and-out defensive midfielder, he really looked at that point like someone who could who could kick on and make that position his own. Yeah. I think the first thing to notice is that Benitez loves lists, doesn't he? Absolutely loves them. Like Oscar Schindler for them. Loves a list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I was surprised that he went in, in the way he did. Um, because as you say, Never really had a chance to make an impact, but I think he, he was injured for a large part, if not all, of last season, wasn't he? Yeah. Season so I think, I think when we have had those problems in the midfield, he was dead unlucky in the fact that he could have come in maybe and, and done a job and been given a chance, but he was just injured. Um, and he never really kicked on from that, that short period. He had only a couple of games, wasn't it? Um, yeah. To play in midfield, he never, never kicked on. It's that, it's that weird dead zone as the under-23s, isn't it? Sort of the... There's no, I mean, this is something we've moaned about for a while. There's no real route into the like two separate entities. And I think there's a lot of players who have sort of fallen victim to that, and he's one of them. Um, because he looked, he looked like he could have been decent, but you just never know because the step up is so massive. Like the other night, I was surprised to see Nathan Broadhead get a lot of time on the pitch. Um, yeah. because he's one of those players who I thought he's just an under 23 player, there's, there's no route to the team for him, but you know, there might be. Um, so yeah, it was surprising to see him go, particularly because he's probably a profile of player that we do need. Um, he'd probably be the next in line to Gabamin um, yeah. for that sort of defensive midfield role. Um, so yeah, it was. But I can't really cry about it too much because we haven't really seen enough of them to miss him. The annoying thing is though, Liverpool would have got twenty million for him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do you know what? How how do they do it? Jordan I will always be the one for me. Eighteen million was it to Bournemouth? Yeah, but Not now they're selling players. Now they're selling players for fifteen million who we've never even heard of. Jordan I, at least he'd like troubled the first team for a couple of games, didn't he? At the post against us. Yeah, he did. To be fair, yeah. Yeah. So you know, he at least bothered the first team. He just sold the lads for fifteen million. I've never ever heard of him. I don't even think he played at Anfield in the cup against yeah. us. No. I mean, God, if you didn't make that team, then, then there's nothing down for you at that club. But exactly. yeah, I mean, we've, we've spoken a lot about FFP, but not an issue for Liverpool because for every Liverpool, there will be a Fulham. Um, and, and <laughs> Lyndon, is, um, is there a genuine concern that needs looking at in terms of that conversion rate from under 23 to, to first team? Or is this just 
how Premier League football is now with the consistent, desperate thirst for success is that you really have to be elite at such an early level to even get a look in at a club like Everton. Yeah, I think I think it's it's that, and it's uh, and, and Les called it just right. It's it's a dead zone. It's it's finding how to get those players from the one level to the next, um, and as you say, without um, without without the risk of 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 them going into the first team and not making it. It's like you say, there's so margin for error, particularly at Everton the last few years. Um, yeah, so I look at it, and and is it. Is there too much of an emphasis on winning like Premier League Two and the Premier League Cup? Are, are they focusing yeah. on that too much? Um, or are they just not? Or is there something amiss fundamentally in how they're coached at that level? It, it's, I would, I would love to know the answer to that. I really would. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting, you've got players like when you mentioned um, Nathan Broadhead. I mean, he was practically gone. I mean, he'd, he'd actually, his contract was up. He would, I think his, he was set to be released. And they only, I think they only just invited him back to keep training. And then all of a sudden, he's back in the, he's back in the first team picture. He's in the squad. And um, he actually looked pretty useful out, out in Florida. Whether he's got the, the, the end product to, to really trouble the, the first team, I guess we'll find out. Um, but it's, um, it's, I always look at the countries like the Netherlands and Belgium and France. And you just look at the talent that comes through those, those countries. And there's, we're only now with this generation of England players really starting to, to match that in terms of the quality of players we're producing. But I look at, you know, a setup like Everton, you would think that the ingredients are all there or all the platform is there to, to, to really find out what they're doing in these other countries and try to sort of distill it and, and, and make something happen mm-hmm. um, at our academy. And I think only really Chelsea are, are, are kind of leading that. And we need to look at what they're doing and try and emulate that a bit. But it's it's it's, it's yeah, it's like that 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 dead zone, that weird yeah. where they sort of fall between, they fall through the cracks. And are they are they going out on loan too soon? Are they going out on loan too late? Are they should they be fast tracked into the first team a lot more? Like you know, someone like Ella Sims, I think mm. by this point should have had a few more opportunities in the first team, particularly as we haven't really had a striker you know, to 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 um, a backup striker to really speak of in that time. But again, it's, it's every manager we've had for the last, last, few, year, last few years has been fighting for their lives. Mm. We just don't have the stability. Yeah. We can really um, take the risk on young players enough. It would lovely, be nice to get into that position, you know, to be able to do that. Yeah, it's a good point, actually, because, I mean, Sam Allardyce started this, didn't he, by just out and out coming out and saying, I, I will absolutely not trust, trust young players to, to do what we all thought was a very desperate job at the time. But yeah, I think every every manager since Carlo Ancelotti, probably more so than most, has, has very much nailed his colours to the mast of, I am not here for your club's player development. Um, and do you know what, that's just, that's the conundrum of not having David Moyes-style managers anymore. You're not going to get someone who comes in, builds a bit of a dynasty over 10 years, can look back on those 10 years and say, well, look at that player I picked up in 2014, look what I'm delivering you now because quite frankly all they are really asked about is week-to-week results and what trophies they can put in your cabinet and most managers haven't really got the relative patience to develop someone like Anthony Gordon for example who is probably at that cusp in his career 
that is potentially quite dangerous. I think for, for most young players, getting to the brink of first team is arguably not the hardest bit. It's once you've had that little bit of a taste or once you've gone to Preston on loan or once you've trained with the first team and realised how tough it is, can you take that enormous step up to guarantee yourself regular Premier League football? And quite frankly, across the, the 20 clubs now, there's probably only a handful of players that exist amongst them who will be able to cement that consistent position. And, and hopefully Gordon is one of them. But we have lads got a, at least one more chance to, to see a few more of these young lads before the season gets underway in a couple of weeks. And, and that is with a, a pretty uncharacteristic friendly for Everton away at Old Trafford next week. Um, Les, it is the first opportunity for, for most Evertonians to go on the road and, and watch Everton in this country anyway. Um, will that be an, a real appetising taste of what is to come from the seasons ahead? Playing against a, you know, playing against another domestic team in a friendly is is quite strange, but it, it does at least give that kind of nod to to how Premier League football is going to be on its return. Yeah, I suppose so. I'm always a bit wary of those sort of final warm up games. It's like the ones that yeah, yeah. are a bit dull, aren't they? Oh, Generally, we, a bit yeah. Boring. We always get our arse handed to us by some form of up-and-coming Spanish. Like Villarreal, Valencia, they, they were all born to just come and destroy our fullbacks and all of our confidence the week before the new season starts. Yeah, and you kind of think United could possibly do the same as well. Um, I don't know, it, it, it is quite uninspiring because you don't really want to see yourself playing against teams who, yeah, you're going to yeah. be playing in the season and you usually get battered there anyway. Um, I don't like Old Trafford at the best of times. It might, I mean, it might be nice as a pre-season jaunt. It's always nice to have a bevy in Manchester. Um, I don't think there's many tickets been given out, is there? Fifteen hundred for Everton. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not I sure how, how full United are going to go. I, I assume from a capacity point of view, then the kind of the shackles are off now. But yeah, I was. It was interesting to see Everton's allocation restricted on that basis. Yeah, it it was a bit odd. Um, I don't know if there's been a massive clam for tickets. I haven't. I didn't even give it a second thought, to be honest. Um, I kind of the whole thing just sort of passed me by a little bit. I'm just I'm really looking forward to the Southampton game. I think the, the preseason, although I did stay up for one and a half of those games in the uh, the Florida Cup, um, it, it kind of it just sort of passes me by a bit. I never get that interested, especially to to go because it's always a bit of a damp squib. I think. Yeah. The, uh, preseason games. Absolutely. Lyndon, I think that it, it's very hard to, to tie any form of confidence on, on individual players and, and what Benitez has thought on them in pre-season because there obviously is so much chopping and changing. But is there anything stylistically in terms of formation and from a, from a structural setup point of view that you'd like to see at Old Trafford in order to kind of lend a hand to, to how we're going to set up against Southampton? Yeah, and I'd just like to see... Well, yeah, whether he's going to, I, I, yeah, how, how are we going to line up from an attacking sense is what I'm waiting yeah. to see. Um, you know, how much, and I think Rashanis is not going to be back by then, but he's going to be the interesting piece as to where, whether he's going to be more of a winger or he's going to be, you know, playing closer to Calvert Loom, which I think he should, if we've got, you know, wingers are going to be throwing the ball into the box mm -hmm. on a routine basis, which I, you know, as Les said earlier, I really hope, hope we do. But, um, 
with yeah, from a formation perspective, it, it seemed very similar to to what we've been seeing over the past few seasons and, and last season on, under Ancelotti. But they just seem to be a lot more. We just seem to be better with the ball, which is really all I wanted to see from Ancelotti was you know, to do these players have a plan for moving it from from back to front quickly or effectively. And so often last season we just couldn't. Where there, there, there was some some really um, encouraging signs in, in the two games in Florida against two pretty, um, you know, technical teams yeah. who were in the middle of their seasons and are far more advanced fitness-wise and, and, you know, sharpness-wise than we were. Uh, and I think particularly um, in the, um, was the first half against Pumas and the second half against Milanarias, I, I, I was encouraged by what I saw. Um, and so from that perspective, um, it looks like Benitez has been working with them and what he's been doing is, it seems to be, bearing fruit already I and mean, it's hard to say over you know, two games and I it would have been nice to have had a couple more like decent preseason games for, to go on um, but it's, it'll be interesting to see what what the lineup is against United how close it is to the one that he thinks will start against Southampton yeah absolutely um, lads we'll call it there we'll obviously have plenty more build up on the blue room leading up to that friendly away at Old Trafford next week and obviously leading into the first game against Southampton as well, where the optimism dies. Um, we've got Subs Weekly out at the moment, as you've got a mailbag coming out this weekend, and loads of shows, obviously on the Blue Room and on the Blue Room Extra as well. From myself, Mark Mosey, from Lyndon Lloyd, Les Roberts, thanks very much for joining us. When you bundle your renters and auto insurance with Progressive, you could save money, but it doesn't cover any terrible memories living rent-free in your head. Hey, just wanted to remind you of that time your kicker missed the extra point and lost the game. Even though he literally never missed an extra point, he chose this playoff game to miss. Yeah, I just noticed you hadn't thought about that in a bit. Wouldn't want you to miss, you know, thinking about it. Sorry, we can't save you from that memory. But we could save you money bundling your renters and auto insurance with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Renters insurance and bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Sports Social Podcast Network.